If you'll stay standing, we're reading from the Gospel of Matthew today, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible or Bible app. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and your sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have received a special invitation. to the Body of Christ, currently located at 91st Street between Memorial and Sheridan. From the Sovereign God, giver of life. I want you to know that I see you. I see the burdens you bear. I see the pain you endure. I know the inner terrain of your soul. I can spot the places where you're locked up by anger, bitterness, betrayal, and disappointment. I notice where your expectations have left you trapped. I see all of that, and I care. I came to Earth so I could enter the mess with you, so I could know exactly how hard it is to navigate the life of spiritual authenticity. The good news is, I came for more than understanding. I came so I could free you, so I could help you find release and live the life I imagined when I created you. Will you accept my invitation today? Will you loosen your grip and your need for control so that I can be in charge? Waiting for your yes, God. Last week, before I even got home, I had messages from folks about how hard this forgiveness series is right now. They were struggling with letting go and forgiving, and I told one of them, so often it feels like we're preaching to ourselves. 
that often I know that I like to nurse a good grudge or carry around my anger at someone who has betrayed or hurt me. Sometimes for years, I hate to say that. I feel like the older I've gotten, the better I've gotten at that. But today's text is really hard. I don't know if it is for you, but I know it is for me because this invitation to release or to surrender doesn't always feel safe. I don't know if it feels safe to you, but we're going to try to unpack it together. I want to start today with a story that I get a weekly email about the Wired Word, which is a study taken from the headlines of what's happening across the world. And this beautiful story um, made me cry, but it also could be I had such a long week <laughs> that I, everything makes me cry. But um, this is a story about a woman in Israel for her 50th birthday. She decided that she didn't want any presents. Instead, she wanted to give a gift to someone else. Five years ago, her beloved grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, had died. And she wondered what he would say to her to help her cope with her grief. And he would say, don't give up. Keep going. Live your life with meaning. That's what she imagined that he would say to her. And so she asked herself, what could give my life the greatest meaning? And she decided that giving life would do that. And so she decided to donate a kidney to someone else to save their life. Her name is Edith Harold Segal. And so most of her family was very upset at the idea that she wanted to give her kidney away. Her father had had a, a, a relative who had died of kidney failure, and he had worried that that would happen to her if she gave one away, and then later she needed it. Um, he, her father actually told her husband to divorce her over this crazy decision that she had made. And so the tensions in the family got higher and higher. Initially, she thought her kidney would go to a 54-year-old Jewish father of two on the list of kidney recipients, but that didn't work out. And it turned out she was a match for a three-year-old child which pleased her because she's a preschool teacher. And she wasn't deterred when she learned that that child was from Gaza. A kid is a kid is a kid, she said. But her husband called the donation a waste because he considered the frequent violence in Gaza and he figured that would probably kill the boy anyway. And then he said to her, and then what have you accomplished? And so one of Seagal's first preschool students, his name was Oz, had become a soldier, and he had been killed seven years ago in battle in Gaza. And so before she proceeded with the giving of her kidney, she talked it over with Oz's father, Ofer. And out of concern that her decision, if she donated a kidney to a Palestinian boy, might cause him distress, <laughs> he, this, this is going to make you cry. So this is what he said. He said, Oz is your son. This is what she said to him. Oz is your son, but I call him my child. I lost a child in Gaza. But on the other hand, I'm giving life to a child in Gaza. And this father who 
buried his child, cradled her in his arms, kissed her on the head and said, just because my child was killed in Gaza doesn't mean I hate the Palestinians and the Gazans, he whispered to her. So I'm not going to tell you the end of that story. I'm going to make you wait for it. <laughs> so today we get this text with these five specific examples of what Jesus wants us to do. And they are turn the other cheek, which is a direct response to the beginning of the text, an eye for an eye. And so Jesus is redefining the laws of the biblical text, an eye for an eye turn the other cheek. He's, he's wanting us to know that this unlimited revenge is, leads to evil or is evil, that we're supposed to reject the principle of retaliation. And then the second one is give your cloak, which refers to this being sued in court where that phrase losing your shirt is actually uh, something that was a Roman saying that you lost your shirt and it's the under your cloak and, and it's so absurd because if you lose your shirt and then Jesus says, then give him your cloak, you're naked in court. And so it's not the literal meaning of taking off your clothes and giving them away. It's this idea that they've asked for this and you give them even more. And so then the third one is go the second mile. So there was this compulsory service thing that was part of the culture where you could be forced to carry equipment for a mile. And so he said, go another mile. And so these first three examples, you are the victim. You are, are someone else has power over you. And then the next two examples, you become the person of power. The first one is give to those in need. I don't think I have to explain that one to you. And the second one is, do not refuse a borrower. Again, we know what that means. It's really hard, isn't it? And so all of these are examples of outside pressure, forces on us that we are being compelled to respond to. All of them expect someone to give up power. They challenge our idea of justice and the balance of power and what is fair and what is balanced. But we have to sometimes focus on what Jesus is calling us to, this higher ideal, where we're not about balancing out the power, but that we humble ourselves and we let go of what we think we deserve or we need to protect. And so why in the world would Jesus ask us to do these incredibly hard things? I think that's fair to ask. The first one is because we are practicing for the coming age when the kingdom of God fully arrives. In that reality, we must place other people's needs ahead of our own and trust that they will do the same. My dad used to criticize me for being too nice that I was a doormat and I let people take advantage of me. And I would say to him, it's not taking advantage of if I know what's happening and I'm choosing to do it anyway. This model, abundance versus scarcity, will offer a path, a life for us all. And so if we are bringing about the kingdom of God, why should we wait? And the second approach blunts our tendency to, towards selfishness. All five of the examples that Jesus gives 
they all subvert our selfishness. The only way we can knock off the rough edges of our entitlement is to release what we can gain from it. We can't settle for being generous. We must, in some way, sacrifice in order to be transformed. To be clear, Jesus' command is not about reveling in our victimhood, nursing that grudge that I talked about, or our anger and our bitterness. It's about choosing a new way of life in preparing for the kingdom of God. And that can feel a lot like being a doormat. So if that is an obstacle that's preventing us from receiving Jesus' teaching, I want you to hear about changing our horizon. I don't know if any of you uh, suffer from motion sickness, but I had a child who would often uh, get sick in the car. And one of the things they told us to do was for her to change her eyes to the different uh, places that she looked, inside and outside, to move her to the front so she could see where she was going. That would help with that motion sickness. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Instead of just seeing what's right in front of us, the things that we care about and matter to us the most, we're being invited to, into a longer range view to see beyond our typical horizon. We typically, at the end of our life, are setting up about for the things that we know and care about. One of those is leaving a legacy for our children. Another is, what kind of things will people say about me in my eulogy or at my funeral? Uh, considering we had three funerals this week, that's really on our minds. Um, and making sure that our loved ones are financially provided for and we're not leaving them in some kind of hardship or burden. And so Jesus asked us to look to the end of the age the coming of the kingdom of God in its fullness, and then to act as if it's right now. Not out there. Someday I will give up power and I will be generous and I will live with a view of abundance. But right now, as people who are followers of Jesus, to say, I am helping to bring about and enact this kingdom of God I told you before that my brother called me in college and he said, mom and dad raised us to be too nice. He's like, nobody else is playing by those rules that we play by. <laughs> They're not loving their neighbor. They're not putting other people first. It's like the first time it hit him that the rules that we had been raised with, the things that shaped us and defined us were not the same out there. And he discovered that in his very first job, fulfilling the demands that we are called to to enact the kingdom of God, they come at a cost. It means we must participate in what is God is doing in the here and now, and we are to recognize that we are created to live in these demands with the possibility or the ability to bring this kingdom about. And so that brings us to our invitation today, an invitation to release, to let go, to surrender, to not need to get even or be right or to establish a balanced and fair transaction. So I ask you, 
Can you receive this invitation to find the freedom that it promises? Let's go back a couple of weeks. The first week when we started on this journey about forgiveness, the invitation that we gave was to see ourselves clearly, our participation in the places where we need forgiveness, whether we're forgiving ourselves or forgiving others or both. And the second week, we had an invitation to discern the messier parts of forgiveness, specifically separating the wrongdoing from the wrongdoer, that the wrongdoer is still a beloved child of God. And so that way we don't objectify other people or put them in a big clump where we can pretend like they're not human and say, those people, right? And so today, our invitation is to release, to let go of our need to hold the grudge, to be bitter, to be angry, to put that down and walk away. A friend and colleague of Pastor Charla's and mine, I'm not going to tell you his name, <laughs> he observed that the reason we feel so unsafe right now so unable to be more willing to forgive and be open is that the center is disappearing. He said, there's hardly any place that we can go where we disagree, but we agree to stand together. No matter which side we're on, we've watched the other side ignore and deny what feels real to us as long enough that it feels personal. It's no longer feeling safe to listen to someone else, to be curious about their position, or to even admit that maybe we are wrong. This is always where objectification of the other finds its start. It seeps into our language when we divide people up, black and white, right and wrong, us and them. And then it happens so easily that we don't even know it's happening. It sneaks up on us. And then we catch ourselves in our language using phrases like those people. After all, we're right. <laughs> and Jesus offers this teaching to a people who are struggling to hold on to the view of the future that God has promised them. They were expecting the Messiah to be the one that turned everything over, that would let them be on top. And then he comes asking us to do these crazy things like turn the other cheek, give them the cloak, walk the extra mile, let people borrow money. Basic human interactions that can show so much about what we value. The Romans were stealing the future for them with no remorse or repentance. And Jesus tells them to do these crazy things. And because this is the only way that we can shed the burden of our anger and our bitterness and our resentment. Jesus understood the Romans weren't going to give up their power, but he also knew that the disciples could access a different kind of power. They could live as though the future kingdom of God was already arrived and they could sacrifice for the other knowing full well that the other would not make the same sacrifice for them. 
And strangely, Jesus says this leads to peace, contentment. And so I began with this story about an Israeli woman who wanted to give her kidney away. And it ends up being someone from Gaza. Think about how many generations of conflict have happened in that community between those two groups of people. And yet we feel like the conflict that we're in in our community and our world is so large. But compared to that, it's really very small. So let me tell you what happens. It's so good, you're gonna love it. A day before the operation was scheduled, Sakal's father, remember this is the same man who told her to her husband to divorce her over this decision she made. Sakal's father called to wish her luck. Only then did she tell him that the recipient of her kidney would be a Palestinian toddler from Gaza who'd been born with a congenital kidney defect. He had required dialysis his whole short life. Well, Sagal's father said, he needs life too. It was a stunning admission, considering that her paternal grandparents had been killed by Palestinian terrorists in Jerusalem in 1948, leaving her father orphaned at the age of one. Then in 2002, her father's adoptive uncle was killed in another terror attack on the Capitol. On the day of the surgeries, Seagal met the boy and his family whose names were withheld at their request. And the boy's father told Seagal that Israeli bombs had destroyed their home in May, rendering the family homeless. But he still went ahead with his decision to donate one of his own kidneys to Tal Ferguson, a 25-year-old Israeli mother of two. So did you catch that? Seagal is giving a kidney to the Palestinian boy, and that boy's father is giving a kidney to an Israeli mother, all on the same day. The operations all took place on June 16th, and Seagal brought the gifts to the boy caressed him, sang Hebrew lullabies to him, and told him that she loved him. She said, you don't know me, but soon we're going to be very close because my kidney will be in your body. Sagal wrote to the boy, and she said that she hoped he would live a long and healthy and meaningful life. And the boy's condition was touch and go for a while, but eventually his condition stabilized and Seagal's heart pounded the next time she visited him. She said, in a way, he's like my kid. I've got a mark to prove it. There's this big opening where they took out my kidney. It's like a cesarean. It's like a birth. And later, Seagal met Ferguson, the woman who received the kidney from the boy's father. And Ferguson was amazed that he was given a part of himself with no regard to religion, or race, or gender. As Seagal pondered the unlikely new relationships that were being forged between people who should have been enemies, she commented, I threw away the anger and the frustration to see only one thing. I see a hope for peace and for love 
And if there would be more like us, there won't be anything to fight over. I can't help thinking that Jesus would call us to be people of peace and love and to have nothing left to fight over. Amen.